0: Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with... Spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace. And when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe or visit realm.fm for more information.
1: Welcome, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for coming out to the Sundance TV headquarters. Um, I wanted to start today with a quote so, if you don't know, the topic of today is patriotism, and there's a quote I wanted to read, and I wanted to see if anybody knew who, who came up with this quote, or who said this quote. So, the quote is, when you open your heart to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice. Does anyone know who said that? Donald Trump said that this morning. <laughs> so, yeah, now right, you have to reevaluate it, right? Yeah, he said it today. So... When you open your heart to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice. So we could probably take an hour just to unpack that statement in and of itself. But the, you know, the idea of patriotism and the concept of patriotism is such an interesting topic. And we're really excited today to bring you six filmmakers who have tackled this subject for Sundance Now and a Sundance Now original show called Take Five, A More Perfect Patriotism. So Sundance Now is a streaming service. It is uh, a terrific combination of movies, documentaries, and original series. Uh, You can sign up for Sundance Now right here in the headquarters. We have brand ambassadors all over. They will give you uh, all the information on it, answer any questions. It's a really exciting service. We're incredibly proud of it, and we're really excited to bring you Take 5, the second season of Take 5, A More Perfect Patriotism. Uh, we are going to have our, po- our panel moderated today by uh, a tremendous figure in the documentary community. Uh, Tom Powers is the, uh, the uh, founder, co founder of Doc NYC. He is the programmer, documentary programmer for the Toronto International Film Festival. He hosts his own podcast called Pure Nonfiction, and he's also a curator for Sundance Now. So Tom will be moderating, and, uh, and we look forward to a really lively discussion. So come on up, Tom. Thank you. Thank you,
2: Thank you all for being here. Welcome to the people on Facebook Live. Uh, about five years ago, uh, the folks at AMC Networks uh, invited me to curate a collection of documentaries for this new uh, subscription uh, VOD channel, uh, Sundance Now. Uh, at that time, I was one person uh, working at the uh, at this brand. Now we've got a big staff of uh, of dozens of people, and uh, and last year started really pr- uh, getting into producing more original content. Um, last year we were here with our first series of Take Five filmmakers. So the Take Five concept is to uh, pick terrific documentary filmmakers. We give them an overarching theme. Last year, the theme was justice. This year, the theme is patriotism. And we really rely on their uh, s- strengths as filmmakers to-, to shape where they want to uh, take that idea. And uh, this year, uh, we have six filmmakers taking on this theme of patriotism. You're going to meet them all in, uh, in a moment. These filmmakers have been working on these pieces uh, for the last several weeks and months. Um, they're going to be coming out uh, later, probably in the next uh, couple months. Uh, you know, stay tuned for Sundance now uh, to uh, to find out more. Uh, but we're going to hear uh, the filmmakers talk a little bit about what each of their pieces are and uh, and what brought them to the subject and, and how they chose to interpret the subject. So if we've got uh, all our chairs and all our water water bottles, uh, filmmakers, come on up and uh, take some seats, and I'll make some introductions. Please welcome the Take 5 filmmakers. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to start at the very uh, end. Uh, uh, Ruzan uh, Galeighini, I'm going to start with the toughest name for me to pronounce. Uh, Ruzan is uh, is the only filmmaker uh, on stage who did a Take 5 last year uh, for our Justice series. She did a wonderful piece called Limbo um, about people waiting uh, for bail. And, um, uh, and uh, Ruzan uh, now is uh, working as a contributor for Full Frontal with Samantha B. She um, collaborated with uh, a Samantha B correspondent, Ashley Black, for, um, for this uh, piece, uh, this patriotism piece uh, for Take 5. So Ruzan, can you tell us a little bit more about you know, how you approach this topic?
3: Sure. Actually, Ashley ended up not working on this one. Oh, okay. Um, But, no, quick update. Thank you for my -er. briefer. (laughs) Ashley is great. Hi, Ashley. I hope you're having fun at inauguration. Um, Yeah, so we basically decided to make a movie about uh, what it means to be a patriot now. And so I was just thinking about it when, you know, Joyce and Owen called. And I kind of thought, like, it seems like right now all of America thinks that the government's not working for them. And in my opinion, what is more patriotic than giving the government back to the people And there are all these people who are trying to do that in a really boring way. And these are the people who are working to get money out of politics. So I wanted to shine a light on the people who are working actively every day to try within the system to do something and give kind of America back to Americans. And I wanted to highlight it. We kind of talked to someone from the Tea Party and like someone from the far left to kind of see if they both felt that way. If if this was something we could come to the table together about as Americans. And it ended up being that, like, the Tea Party person and the socialist were finishing each other's sentences. So, I guess, yes.
2: (laughs) There's hope for building bridges. Maybe. Um, All right, uh, sitting next to uh, Razan is Jahan Nujame. She is a longtime attendee to the Sundance Film Festival with her films Startup.com, Control Room, uh, and The Square that was nominated for Academy Award uh, about... um, uh, Tahrir Square and the protests uh, in Egypt. Uh, Jahan, right now, is living with her family uh, back in Egypt, uh, where she grew up. Um, Jahan, can you uh, tell us what your piece is about? When when they came to you and asked you about to do a piece on patriotism, how did you approach this?
4: So I am making my piece on the global patriot, which um, made a lot of sense for me when they approached me about this. Taking this topic, I was thrilled because somebody growing up between. Egypt and the US, um, often not feeling like I belong any place, um, it seemed like the right uh, film to be making. But it's such a vast topic, such an important topic right now, has been discussed for so many years by so many great minds, um, you know, and from um, from Martin Luther King, who says an injustice anywhere, uh, an injustice one place is an Oh my God, I'm I'm messing up this quote. You know this quote that I'm talking about. (laughs) Injustice one place is an injustice everywhere. Um, That's not exactly right, but um, close. And other great uh, thinkers um, like him, Elie Wiesel, the opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference. Um, And so the piece was really trying to think about what different people have said in the past, where we are now as global patriots, the interconnectivity between the struggles around the world, which I really I felt very strongly about when I was making the square. And as we were making the square, we had. Protests erupting around the world, people overtaking squares in different parts of the world. Our film was shown in a square in Kiev and the protesters were talking with each other. Um, so this topic has, has been important to me for a, a very long time. And the way that I decided to address it was to um, go to a, a, another a fellow, um, a friend of mine who's a poet. Um, and he writes um, poetry and aphorisms many of which have dealt with this topic, and also to approach an animator. So I'm working with um, a poet and an animator to address this topic, which is not anything I've ever done before.
2: All right. Well, you're always looking to take on new challenges. I know that about you. Um, uh, Next to Jahan is uh, Kieran Deal. She is a stand-up comic in uh, one part of her life. Uh, She made a documentary short called uh, Woman Rebel um, uh, about a Nepalese uh, uh, rebel. Am I right? Okay, so... <laughs> uh, Kieran, how, how did you approach this, this topic?
5: Um, yeah, I... Um, yeah, I started in documentary with Woman Rebel that HBO did, and then... Um,
2: Stand-up comedy had a lot more money in
5: it. Right. Just wanted a ball out of control. That was really the goal. Um, but I think I was really exhausted by... You know, when I look on, like, my Facebook feed, I just saw so much... Anger and like vitriol and um, th- there's just such a such a negative energy and polarization like just in the culture and um, one of the things I think is great about comedy is that it's very unifying so I was like how can you use how can you use levity and intimacy to kind of tell a story um, from the perspective of immigrants like just a very like deeply first person narrative so that it's like if you were sitting on the other side of the aisle from maybe where I sit you would um, maybe not be turned off or maybe not be put off because you don't feel like somebody's preaching to you. You feel like they're telling you their story, and actually maybe it feels a little bit similar to your own story. Um, that was kind of the, the goal in the approach. So I interviewed my family, who are first-generation uh, immigrants uh, to this country, and I learned a lot about their experiences, both in coming here as like, these like starry-eyed kind of... Um, Immigrants, which I think is very much like the dream of the nation, and then, and then how that morphed into this like notion of—I I guess we kind of call it hazing. Do you know what I mean? We've had this thing after 9/11. That quote was in there. It's like we've had this thing where you know Muslims or brown people are kind of vilified or you know profiled. But that's been a trend in our culture. Whether it was Italians or it was Irish or. It was just throughout history that's been a thing. The most recent immigrant kind of gets the flack after an event. Um, and kind of finding the unity in that and hopefully some hope and joy and levity in, in the ideal of what America could be um, versus where we sometimes live in the reality.
2: All right. We, we saw uh, your parents a little bit in that, uh, in that uh, teaser clip. Um, so next to Kieran is uh, Jordan Ching. She's a filmmaker based in the Bay Area. Well, our team had reached out to Van Jones, the CNN uh, contributor, and uh, said we'd really like to do something with you. you and uh, and Van Jones said, "I want Jordan Chain to uh, to direct a piece." Uh, so, uh, Jordan, can you talk about this collaboration?
6: Yes. So, um, hello, everyone. Um, ben approached us and told us that he makes a speech about deep patriotism versus cheap patriotism and how America's always been two things and not one. It's always been the founding dream, which is about hope and equality, and the founding reality, which is about inequality and ugliness. So we read the speech, and the first thing that came to mind was we have to take a cross-country road trip and show what America looks like, all the people, places, and things, and and that's what we
2: did. So you took a cross-country road trip with Van Jones?
6: No, not with Van. We we filmed Van in L.A. and then from there we we made our way. He skype Skyped in from there. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, terrific. Um, Keith Maitland, uh, sitting next to Jordan, is the director of Tower, uh, one of the 15 films on the documentary shortlist for the Oscar uh, this year. Tower is about the 1966. Uh, mass shooting uh, on the campus of the University of Texas, where Keith went to school, uh, although not in 1966. Um, uh, Keith, uh, can you tell us about your piece?
7: Yeah, I uh, well, I had the pleasure of, of looking at um, patriotism and activism and where the two interact and what they mean to each other. Um, and uh, the subject uh, of the documentary is uh, a young man named Nate Boyer, who's here with us today. Nate, where are you? Nate's over here. You saw Nate up here in the, uh, in the sizzle. And Nate is a uh, veteran. He's a Green Beret veteran um, who also played college football at the University of Texas um, years after I went there. And uh, after his time on campus, he went on uh, and uh, made, a, made a go at the NFL uh, and has a very unique um, perspective as an Army vet and a football player. And so when the Colin Kaepernick um, protest began last, uh, end of last summer, Um, Nate was approached by the Army Times to weigh in, and Nate did just that. He he wrote an open letter to Colin, and he basically said, um, I don't agree with your tactics so much, but I agree with your right to express yourself in this way, Um, and I look forward to the day when you'll feel comfortable standing again for the national anthem. Um, At that point, Colin reached out to Nate and started a dialogue, and uh, together the two of them have uh, have moved forward a little bit, um, opening each other's eyes and... uh, Our piece looks at Nate and and two other veterans um, who were impacted by Nate's action with Colin. And so it's all about the ripple effects of protest and where that interacts with patriotism.
2: And our final filmmaker is Jason Cohen. Uh, He directed the film uh, Facing Fear, the short documentary that was nominated for an Academy Award a few years ago. His latest uh, feature-length documentary is Silicon Cowboys, a uh, film about the early days of the computer business, uh, which is now on iTunes and Amazon, all those uh, good places. Uh, Jason, uh, tell us about your piece. Sure.
8: Um, first, I just want to also uh, point out uh, Joyce Deep and Owen Shiflett and thank them for bringing us into this project. They are the producers of The producers of this project and for Sundance now to giving us the opportunity to explore this, um, especially in these times we're in and especially today um, and with, with what's happening. Um, so, um, I just, and that I'm speaking on behalf of all the filmmakers, sorry. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, th- you know, my idea for this film when, they, when I first spoke to them um, was a little different from what it ended up being, and that was because we started talking about this um, in October, and things were different then. <laughs> they were a little different then, uh, but we certainly, the country was divided. Um, so, I, I, you know, when, when, they, when they came to me with this idea about patriotism, Um, one of the first things I thought of, well, what could an audience relate to? What symbol um, is something that you can just always relate to and and visually what would work? And I was just drawn to the flag and and, and what is held in that meaning of the flag. And it holds so much meaning for so many different people in so many different ways. So we started exploring um, ways we could look at the flag and what it means to different people and had a few ideas and started going down one road. Um, And then we had a a conference call scheduled for November 9th um, and we were all in, Sort of disarray, and it was a pretty emotional call. And I basically said, and they agreed that you know things have to ch- like the tone of this has to change. We have to look at this differently. So I was really um, keen on trying to do something that had some balance to it, um, and not just propaganda and showing one side of what the flag means. And I really wanted to show a balance of what the flag means to some people here and some people here, and not not just blue and red state. I, I just wanted to get beyond the politics. Of it, um, So we started down that road and then uh, I guess you could call it a gift on November 29th I woke up and I don't actually do a lot of Twitter but I happened to look and our president-elect at the time um, tweeted that uh, he thought flag burners should be um, put in jail or uh, their citizenship stripped. So I called back up and said uh, I have to change the film again. So, um, <laughs> so I made a film about flag burning. And that was the impetus um, for it, and it gave it some um, reason to really explore it because it was suddenly very timely. Uh, and so what I did was, again, I still wanted to show a balance. I reached out and was lucky, lucky enough to um, be put in touch with um, Gregory Joey Johnson, who is the Johnson in the Texas v. Johnson Supreme Court case that made flag-burning legal in 1989 uh, after he burned a flag at the uh, 84 Republican Convention. Uh, he's still an activist. Uh, he's a revolutionary communist, and he's very outspoken. He's been out. He was arrested at the Republican convention this year. Uh, and He's still out there doing it, and at the Democratic convention as well. Um, and so I told his story, and then I, I wanted to balance it. So I, um, we reached out to a Gold Star family, who you saw in the sizzle there, uh, whose son was killed in Afghanistan, and who have very different feelings about the flag and what it means to them. Um, and uh, I had this idea of bringing them together for a dialogue, uh, which I have to say they were keen on it before I even proposed it, even though I had it in mind. So we did um, bring these two sides together for a dialogue just to discuss how they feel and understand who each other are.
2: Now, I want to uh, get at this big concept of patriotism that uh, that the Sundance Now team came up with and then uh, brought to all of you uh, filmmakers, and I'm wondering when... When you heard this idea, um, what your first thoughts were? I I, I mean, I wonder if if any of you had given a lot of thought to patriotism before, or was this an opportunity to start thinking about it? And I'll just throw that out to whoever wants to jump on it first. Kieran.
5: Um, (laughs) You, uh, yeah, um... I know I I never really considered to me patriotism has such a like connotation of like of it just has this it's a word that I associate with like propaganda and like you know people like just just talking bullshit at you you know like that's what it is from my like that that would have been my preconceived notion and so I thought it was really interesting to be like but no, like we're all we all live here. Like I'm a citizen. You know, I've grown up here since I was five years old. Like I'm proud of this country. You know, like it so understanding that you can kind of reappropriate that term and kind of make it what it what it is to you and and I guess take some ownership over the notion of it. It doesn't have to be what somebody else said. It can be you can start to reappropriate what that experience is and start to put a series of different narratives out there about what might get associated with this word. Um, good?
2: Anyone else want to... Uh, it, that was good, Kieran. Uh, Gold right. star. I'll, I'll jump in.
7: I'll say, you know, I grew up here in the U.S. Uh, I, uh, I consider myself a patriot, and I've never seen it as a bad word, but I've also never accepted it as a word that is owned by any side of the political spectrum or any side of the approach to, you know, quote, unquote, what America is. Um, I've always lived in communities, um, for the most part, that have people of all different backgrounds, and I appreciate what they bring to our country. You know, I, I think of the Statue of Liberty and that bring us your tired, your poor, as kind of the ideal of what America is about. And so, to me, patriotism is about reaching out, and it's about inviting people in and being a part and making your own way, expressing yourself. Um, I think after 9-11, there was a real twist on that that patriotism was displayed in certain ways, and if you didn't display it, whether you hung a flag on your house or, or um, presented yourself in certain ways, you weren't as patriotic as others. But that's never felt right to me. Um, and I feel like as filmmakers, we get the opportunity to express ourselves in so many ways that... Uh, it hadn't ever occurred to me to express patriotism before, you know, Zach and Owen and Joyce talked to me about it. But it's an exciting opportunity to kind of contextualize what this word means because it means different things to different people. But to me, it's a word I'm comfortable with and a word I'm proud to, uh, It's a, you know, a mantle I'm proud to carry.
4: For me, it's a word that's a very difficult word. It's, I'm very uncomfortable with it at times in my life, especially, I think, after making films both in... Um, after making Control Room, we opened it. uh, It was about the the media coverage of the Iraq War, but was centered in Al Jazeera Station, and we showed it in the U.S. And I was on radio shows where they said, you know, this is anti-American propaganda. How could you show these soldiers that have been, you know, captured by Iraqi troops? This is disgusting. Um, and I got the same thing when I made the square, because from the Egyptian, uh, you know, it was banned in Egypt and, um, you know, you're showing the military uh, in a bad light, um, you're, a- you're unpatriotic, and so, you know, I've definitely been labeled unpatriotic by every, by both countries that I hold a passport for. Um, so it has been a really difficult word that I've struggled with. Um, And now, living in these times with Trump and with Brexit, it's, you know, you start thinking about this, and this is why I loved this concept of the global patriot, because it really, you know, really had me thinking, well, this is what, this is actually what I stand for, and what does that mean, and how, you know, how can I best express this in a film? So, yeah, it's been, I'm very excited to see all of your pieces, because I think it's a very... It's, it's, all, it's, a, it's a very complicated word for me. I mean, after September 11th, even my mother had said something to her brother. She's from Indiana, and she said something to her brother about how we need to be thinking about our foreign policy. And he t- called her unpatriotic and did not speak to her for a year. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult word.
8: Yeah, I, I would just add, I mean, for me, part of it was exploring when and how did this word patriot become inflammatory. I grew up in a typical suburban, I grew up in suburban New Jersey, and we said the Pledge of Allegiance, and we put our hand, you know, up here, and we did that, and that's that was the norm. Um, that doesn't happen as much uh, anymore, obviously, and we live in a different time. But for me, it was exploring that, and in making this film, it certainly caused me to think. And you know, Joey, who's in my film, he says um, uh, patriotism means love of country and putting your country first, and he says that's very dangerous, and it's sort of off of what uh, Johanna's saying here the idea that our country is better than yours and as a result we're going to um, use what we think is the right way to do things and 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 that's how you should also follow our lead and and that kind of opens up a rabbit hole that you maybe don't really want to go down so I was you know and I thought about that a lot but then I had a you know this family whose, whose son died um, doing what he thought was fighting for all of us here in this room and truly believed that and I couldn't sit there and look at this family and and tell them that although joey did joey told them i think your son's life was used by this system uh by the american system that says you're going to protect this country when in fact you're um going to increase the reach of this country which is a little bit different um so i struggled in making this film and it definitely opened my eyes um to what i'm doing i'm a parent also so um it affects a lot of what i do and Uh, It certainly is affecting how, you know, when I look at my kids now, I'm certainly thinking about a lot more of these issues that I always thought about, but it it sort of definitely has caused me to really think about what it means, what this word means.
3: I mean, everyone said everything, but, like, my, my family's originally Palestinian, so there's never been, like, when you're a patriot and you're Palestinian, it's not like there's a land for you to be patriotic towards. Like, so when you say, like, love of country, that means love of people, and the people of Palestine have no agency in their country. So when you start to see the American government, by no means am I saying these are like equal at all, but when people don't feel like they own the country, meaning the government, then it becomes a question that I thought was interesting of like, how can you be a patriot when you don't feel like you're part of the system that runs the country? And then like, I kind of got into the money and politics world in that way, which is also interesting because it is love of country, but then it's like, what is a country? Is it the land or is it the government or is it the people? And what happens when those three things aren't together? which is most of the
6: time. Um, I'm gonna say I didn't think a whole lot about it before this film, Um, but traveling across the country, it made me feel a little bit better, especially um, after Trump won. We came across a lot of Trump supporters and it didn't really matter if you're blue or red or Republican or Democrat. I felt like the consensus that we met was that people just want to do better. They want to do better for themselves, for their communities. Uh, for the country so it it made me feel a little bit better just knowing that a lot of people share the same sentiment um regardless of what 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 your views are so
2: so we've talked uh about the the content of these pieces i want to talk about the form of these pieces in the, in the short form several of you have made short documentaries before although when we talk about short, your, your films are probably more like 25 minutes. or um, you know, the, the, the brief for these are you know, to make them a little bit you know, shorter and, and, and punchier. And I wonder what you see as the challenges and the opportunities of that form.
3: I mean, I love short. I love short films. I work at Full Frontal with Samantha B and I make the field pieces. And they're so much fun. And people watch them, and people learn and engage. I think it's very hard to get someone to sit down and watch 90 minutes if they don't already agree with you, and it is not that hard to do it if it's short. So if you're trying to like... I think of short films as like gateway drugs, (laughs) like, you know, like, try this. (laughs) Oh, you like it? There's more over here, Um, which is really, really powerful. And I think there's space for feature films and short films and short form things. But, um, you know, people, I think, I think short films have a bad rep. <laughs> but they're hard because you have to be concise. You have to know what you're saying. You have to have a point of view, and you have to do it all really fast. And you have to keep people entertained. Um, and I think it's a, like, fun challenge, and I think it does a big service for feature films because if you get someone interested, then maybe they'll go watch The Square, you know, and that would be way, like, that's great. I want everyone to watch The Square, you know what I mean? but like maybe they, they wouldn't just be like, you know what, it's Wednesday, should I watch The Square or should I watch Superman? like They can pick Superman most of the time.
2: Uh, Jahan, I mean, given that uh, you've really worked a lot in long form with The Square and Control Room and, and, and these films, wh- what's it like for you to, to switch to a shorter format?
4: Oh, it's exciting. I like to have those limits, actually. Um, and I think that it pushes you to be creative in dealing with those limits. And in terms of... The release of it, um, you know, it's ac- very exciting to be working on something for a, couple, a month or two and actually have a finished product when you're used to working on something for three years um, or more, you know. Um, and then with people's attention span now, I think that there's so it's exactly like you said, it's very difficult to get somebody to sit down for an hour and a half when they don't have no interest in the topic. Um, so much easier for people to, to take four minutes out of, five minutes out of their lives. And,
2: and that's not a question everyone has to answer if, uh, if anyone has anything they want to add.
4: Well,
8: I'll just I mean, I've made short films, and like you said, they're usually back, like in the 20-minute range. And this just takes a lot more discipline. I mean, it's, it's in a way, it's, it's a lot tougher. Than may, I've made feature docs as well, and it's, in a way, it's a lot tougher. I mean, you really have to figure out what has to go, and it's, that's one of the things as filmmakers we hate... Um, you know, what what has to go in that final cut. And with this, you're getting rid of things that you would normally keep. And I think some of the things like character development, you, in five minutes, it's tough to really develop a full character and have an, an arc of your story. So it's it's really tough. I think it's in the end, it's fun and it's satisfying. And I think, you know, sort of what they're saying. But, but I, I will say, um, I think we're at a time right now where shorts are um, burgeoning. And if you look at Field Division and if you look at Op Docs, um, People want shorts, and unfortunately, it is because of these attention spans, and it's because people are watching them on their iPads and their cell phones. But um, I'm excited to do more shorts, um, and and you know, it is a way to get eyeballs on your work, and and that's what we all want in the end, I think.
2: And if people don't know the things that uh, that Jason is referencing, uh, Field Division is the uh, group that Laura Poitras, who made Citizen Four, uh, started with others. Uh, they uh, put out some terrific shorts on on org and New York Times Op docs That's been at this for uh, a few years. Um, has uh, made a lot of terrific shorts and uh, and others. The you know the New Yorker.com is putting out more short films. Um, so uh, so I think this truly is an exciting time for it. Um, so Jason, uh, you know, o- alluded to the election of Donald Trump and how that you know changed his thinking uh, about this piece and. The, the film festival I run in New York City, Doc NYC, started two days after the election. And uh, we w- were, you know, constantly in that week talking to filmmakers about, um, about you know, what that election meant to them and, uh, and to their work. And I'd like to uh, hear from you, um, you know, if that election made a difference in the way you think about your work. And if so, how it's made a difference.
6: Um. I, it, it really impacted me, I think, just because mainstream media always paints this huge division across our country, which, you know, it, it, it exists, but I think through this film, we explored that at the, end of, at the end of the day, we are all just humans, we're all just trying to get by, we're all just trying to pay our bills, um, so it opened my eyes, I think, in terms of the way I view the country. And it made me appreciate America in general, that we are Americans and we are a great country because of our differences and not in spite of our differences.
2: Anyone else? How the election uh, affected their work?
3: I mean, we talked to a guy from the Tea Party who had a signed constitution of Donald. Donald Trump had signed one of his constitutions, and it was like... He hadn't
7: read it, though, had he?
3: I mean, can he read... We don't know. <laughs> I'd like a video of him reading Obama's birth certificate as proof. Uh, but yeah, the Tea Party guy. I mean, it forced it forced us, like we all went up there, crew went up there to sit for like mo- like six hours. The Tea Party guy, and we had to find common ground with this guy. I would have had no interest in doing that if I didn't know I had to do this for the next, hopefully, two years. But probably longer. So yeah, I mean, it changed us because we need, we wanted to be a little nicer to him in the sense that you can't paint them as a bad guy cuz they're with you and i don't know if that makes sense but it kind of it changed it changes the the lens through which we saw the tea party
5: i uh, i think for me like the, the the thing that really shifted was the the real the amount of anger and like vitriol that i really felt from so many close friends and so much the personal affront of something that's so broadly political and how that one person there is a trickle-down effect, and that person does affect you, but how, how you let it affect your emotional state over the course of your everyday life and the way that people are taking that with them into their day, day in, day out. And so it's like, how do you have control over that set of your own emotional circumstances? Like, how do you... Because that isn't going to be a place from which you can do anything effective. You know what I mean? Like, how are you going to actualize the change that you want to see? How are you going to impact other people once you stop yelling? You know, I think I became very aware, like very acutely aware of how of how damaging the anger can be. And I know that can also be a source of strength but it's like how divisive that can be. And so I it, it really redoubled like kind of my interest in being able to bridge a divide find a way to use like levity, or, or f- how can you open people's hearts, you know, with, with, with a different set of tactics, you know, whatever that set of tactics is, um, and that's really, I think, what I've learned through this particular political process.
7: I, for me, uh, a lot of my work is um, historical in nature, um, and when I pitch my projects, people always say well, how is a story from 1966 or from 1970 going to be relevant today? And I look them in the eye and I say... How could
2: a film about mass shooting possibly be okay. relevant today?
7: Thank you. Uh, and, the, and I look at them and I say, you know, the past is present and uh, and the political is personal. And I like to tell stories that are about human beings um, in unique circumstances, but those unique circumstances play out over and over again and their personal experiences unveil political situations in ideally nuanced ways and ideally personal ways. Um, And so, as frustrated as some people are about the ascension of Trump, uh, as satisfied as some people are about a new direction for the country, um, we've been here before. We've been here before and we will be here again. And so, I want to support people who want to rise up and make their voice heard. Um, I want to understand people who see positives in a situation that I have a hard time finding positives in. Um, and I'd, I like looking at history for um, strength in that and for cues as to where we might be going. Um, the, the flip side of it is, is just in the last 48 hours, there's been a lot of talk about privatizing uh, public broadcasting, uh, abolishing the NEA and the NEH. And uh, those are things that I take personally because those are things that, it, that impact me as both a filmmaker who relies on public broadcasting a lot of the time and as a citizen who um, holds that up as one of the greatest um, kind of jewels in our crown uh, as an American society. So, uh, so I'm excited uh, that we have an opportunity to express ourselves uh, as Americans. And
8: I uh, plan on expressing myself a lot. I'll, and I'll just add, I mean, I think we all probably, um, after the election, had to take a closer look at what we're doing and the responsibility that we maybe have. And for me, it was just sort of um, looking at all these amazing films. Like, if you just look at this year, some of these amazing films that talk about injustices in our world. um, And there was a bit of me stepping back, like, well, a lot of these amazing films have been made for years, but look where it's gotten us. But on the other hand, we need those films. Um, I mean, Jahan made what I consider one of the greatest protest films of all time. Uh, If you haven't seen it, you should see The Square, by the way. Um, And we need films like that. Uh, we still need films. But on the other hand, I feel like we do need these films, like what these guys were just saying, that do bridge bridge a little bit and don't preach to the choir, this room, um, and expand out and can get on some other, other people out there that wouldn't maybe hear about the other side. And, and we sort of have to figure out a way to do both of those.
2: And I don't know the answer to that yet. And hopefully we'll figure it out. <laughs> um, I want to take a few minutes to... Uh take questions from the audience. So if you've got one, do we have a microphone uh, going around? Okay, so we've got a, a microphone. Before we take our first question, um, I want to acknowledge uh, Josh Sapan, the head of AMC Networks, uh, uh, whose uh, real vision was Take Five. I remember sitting in a conference room with him a couple years ago, and he said, you know, I think if we could just make these short films we'd have a way of punching through uh, the, the, the noise in a, uh, in a different way and... It's been Josh's leadership that's put the resources behind doing this, so thank you, uh, Josh Zapan. Now, uh, who's got a hand up? And I see a hand up over here. We'll bring you a microphone.
8: Thanks. My name's Matt Carey with nonfictionfilm.com. One of the things I recall, interesting points uh, Gary Trudeau made about patriotism and he contrasted his sense of patriotism to conservatives. He said, their patriotism is based on hope. Mine, I'm sorry, their patriotism is based on pride. Mine is based on hope. So I just wondered if anyone had a comment about that.
2: So uh, If anyone didn't hear that, uh, the Gary Trudeau, the cartoonist of Doonesbury, said uh, my patriotism is based on uh, uh, hope. <laughs> their patriotism based on pride. Is that Resonate for anyone, or anyone, we can move on if, if it doesn't. All right, let's take another question. Thank you, though. That was a great quote. Uh, right here, this woman.
3: Hi, I'm Isabel. I'm here with California Magazine, but I'm also an undergraduate student at UC Berkeley, um, which is, as most of you know, I'm sure a very politically concerned and active student body. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle when Trump supporters tell them, you know, now that he is in the seat of the presidency, um, it is kind of your duty as a citizen, as a patriot, to get behind him, to support him, to hope that he's going to do what's best for this country. Uh, people really have a hard time agreeing with that sentiment. I was wondering if any of you have a response to it or advice or thoughts on that.
2: Has that come up in any of your interviews? Uh, um, how to apply patriotism to getting behind the, the current president?
3: I mean, our uh, we the Tea Party Russ Thompson, with one S, that's how he spells his name, uh, is a Trump supporter, and he kind of lectured my team and I about this. And I don't have an answer, because I... Well, did
2: he get behind Obama when Obama was president? Because that's a natural kind of, follow-up question. Well,
3: he says he does, but I don't think he did. So, that like, it becomes, like, semantics of, like, what does get behind someone mean, you know? Because they're like, well, we accepted him as president. I'm like, well, I'm obviously also accepting him as president. I'm just not happy about it. Like as you were not happy about it with Obama. So I, I feel like, I mean, like just say, yeah, I do accept him as president, and I don't want the country to burn down. But I think that, I think that, like, I guess the Tea Party agrees, I guess, I don't know, it was the strangest interview ever. It was very long and strange. <laughs> but, like, yeah, he, he totally basically was saying, like, oh, you know, you, it's your job now, liberals, because we were the liberals to get behind this platform as opposed to, get behind what's good for America and eventually after like six hours with him we were able to get to a place where we were like can we just agree that we all want what's best and we moved on from there so I don't know if that helped but
4: Uh, where is the question that patriotism is about questioning your president as well I mean and that that's I think that's what we have to think about
2: Uh, We pass the microphone to this woman here. Right there.
4: Hi, I'm Jan Price from uh, The Jan Price Show, All About Movies on iHeartRadio. My question is, these are all short. Do any of you want to make them longer documentaries? Uh, Because every one of these topics is very, very, very fascinating, and I'd love to hear more about your interview with the Tea Party, you know, and you said spend six hours with them, and yet you only have five minutes. So I'm (laughs) curious... Is this spawning
6: in a, you know, a longer documentary? I,
7: you know, when this, when this was brought to me as a short film, you know, I didn't mention it earlier, I've never made a short film before. I've only made feature-length docs, and I think in 90-minute increments, typically. I'm, um, I was worried about trying to pack in what's a lot of ideas and a lot of, I think, necessary perspective um, into a small um, little vessel like this. um. I don't have plans to make a longer-form documentary about the Colin Kaepernick um, protest or about Nate's uh, relationship to it, but I would like to inspire Nate to make a long-form documentary, and I would be interested in, in, in seeing the people at Sundance now you know, help shepherd that uh, forward because he's got a very unique perspective, and Colin does too. We weren't able to talk to Colin because it was football season while we were shooting, and he had his eye on, on the prize, but uh, now that his uh, Sundays are freer, um, maybe Nate and Colin could get together and, and maybe co-produce something. Um, I would be interested to see the perspectives on that from their very uh, in-the-middle-of-it perspective explored.
2: And so, Nate, can I ask you to step over here and I'll hand you a microphone. I'd, I'd love to hear from your perspective what the experience was uh, being part of this film and, and speaking out in general around this topic.
9: Um, it was divisive. <laughs> Not the film, but the situation. I mean, when I, when I originally wrote the open letter, I didn't think that many people were going to read it, first of all. And, uh, and then just to see, I think, both sides of the spectrum uh, attack me for what I like to say, sitting in the radical middle, uh, which is a hard, the hardest place to be, it seems like, uh, in our country right now, because everyone wants you, a lot of people want you to take a side. And it's actually been really refreshing to hear everybody here um, not talk, like, not talk like that, you know. But, uh, no, I, I just, uh, as far as patriotism go, I think, I think working on this with, with, with Keith definitely opened my eyes up to, uh, yeah, a different meaning of the word. And, and because immediately with, with my experience, when I think of that word, the image of the flag pops into my head and, and images of saluting it and, and all these different things. And, and the one NFL game I got to play in I broke down in tears when the anthem was playing and the flag was uh, you know, being honored because of my relationship to it. But I have only walked in these shoes. <laughs> I don't know what it's like to walk in anybody's shoes, your shoes, anybody's. And uh, to, keep, to keep my mind open in that perspective has uh, is, is definitely changed me over the last few months quite a bit. And it's actually changing my very conservative mother, <laughs> which is interesting to me, really interesting to me. She actually reached out to me recently about something she'd seen... Um, involving the police and an African-American um, who is a friend of mine. And, and so it's just, uh, I think that's very cool and I, I, I would love to do that. You should a great talk. Idea. <laughs> but anyway, thank
2: you. You may get your mother to talk to my mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, a question right here. Can uh, microphone? Greg
8: Marks with Media Inc. Magazine. And, um, I'm working for him. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is such a Keith. He said, uh, the past is present. And the political is personal. And I wanted to know, how do you think that's going to affect the future generation? Not the millennials, but the generation after them. Any of you can answer that, actually.
7: Well, I've got one of those generations after them living in my house um, these days. And uh, he's only 14 months, so I don't know where he falls on the political spectrum. Um, You know, I have to say, like, I grew up in a very liberal household. And I never made, I never felt I had to make, and I never did make... The difficult decision to break from the way I was raised, and from the way that I was, you know, potentially even indoctrinated—I don't know. Uh, I have a lot of friends who have made that decision, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for them. Um, So when I look to my young son uh, and imagine his future, you know, mostly I just—I hope that he's happy, and I hope that he's safe. Um, But I hope that there's a world that he can grow up into where his voice um, can be heard, and where his ears are wide open. Um, I think where we 'll be fifteen years from now twenty five years from now is 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 up in the air. Uh, I know some people you know, uh, as of the inauguration started their own doomsday clock, and, and maybe they don 't think there will be a fifteen years from now but i 'm an optimist, uh, like Gary Trudeau. my patriotism is, patriotism is based in hope and it 's based on the ideal that America was designed on, but I never lose track of the fact that. We're a nation started by people with great ideas and then those people, after they finished writing their great ideas on their parchment paper, went back home to their subjugated wives and their slaves and uh, pretended like all men are created equal didn't somehow in- include all men, women, and you know, citizens of every stripe. So we have a long way to go. I-, I hope the generation after the millennials and the millennials themselves will pick up the mantle and run with it.
8: Thank you.
2: We have time. uh, We'll take one more question. Bring the microphone here.
4: Hi, I'm Rubina Ramji from the Journal of Religion and Film, a very different outlet. I'm also a professor, so uh, shorts actually work really well in the classroom. Continue making them. We appreciate it. Um, My question is actually about the idea of what it means to be American. I'm Canadian, and when we look at our American neighbors, we look at the idea that... To be American does not mean keeping your immigrant identity. It means assimilation. It means being American, giving up all of your different identities. And then when I hear American presidents talk about things like, uh, if you're not with us, you're against us, or creating the axis of evil, to me it sounds like it's saying you can only be American if you're American, and you're born in America. So I wonder how that comes out with the idea of being a patriot, when honestly more than half of the panel up there would be considered not patriot enough to be American.
8: Well, I think we probably all came from somewhere going back, so probably you could make the argument that all of us um, wouldn't be considered. But uh, along the lines of what you were saying, J- Joey Johnson, you know, in my film talks a lot about this. Uh, and it was back to what I was saying before about that danger of, of being, being what, what is considered American and what is best for the country and what is best to put forward from this country and not recognizing what the country was built on. Um, which is what you're just talking about and the immigrants that we have here and why that makes this... um, I mean, I wouldn't agree that everywhere... Those sentiments uh, are everywhere, obviously. Uh, I think they probably do exist, which we've now seen, unfortunately, a little more clear than we... Maybe some of us realized. But um, I I, I think I'm with Keith where I'd like to be a little bit more optimistic about it. Um, And I do think dialogue is a big part of getting past that. And if you... Can understand why somebody feels that way, then maybe you can talk to them why your experience is different and why maybe not everyone might not feel that way. So I don't know if that answers it, but
2: so the white guys here are feeling optimistic. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I, I, thought I said
2: that. I like I didn't to lean, to
3: lean
8: towards optimism. Silence from this corner. Yeah,
3: yeah,
6: yeah optimism at the end? I feel optimistic. Yeah, I think I mean, uh, I think to be American, it's both. It's a balance of uh, maintaining your identity, your culture, your values, but also adapting to the American lifestyle. So I think it's both. My family's fourth generation, um, so I consider myself very, very American, but at the same time I know my roots, I know where I come from, so I think it's a little bit of both.
4: after the Egyptian revolution, there was a lot of people self educating themselves about how things worked, you know, and now you know we have all of our television stations are now owned by the army, and you know where we we are we're not in a great place right now. Um, so I would say maybe the silver lining to this is that people are a lot going to be a lot more aware and really looking and checking and observant as to how things are going to be moving forward where maybe we would have been less so if somebody else was elected and you know if he fucks up then he gets the boot, you know, and that but people are gonna be looking and watching and I think that that's a good thing. Uh you know. Uh one
5: of the things I loved like in the cold open of like my film, it's like my dad is, like, after they got their... They talk about after they got their citizenship, and I was like, oh, what did you do afterwards? Like, did you do anything to celebrate? He was like, oh, we went out to eat. And I was like, oh, did you go to Denny's? Because his, like, favorite place in the world is Denny's. He's like, good American breakfast at Denny's. Like, he just sat, like, just, you know, beers, American... Like, he's such a... To look at him... I know that he's not associated with the image of what... But it's, like, in his heart, he's so American. He's just so... He's so, like... And I mean, like, down home, like, barbecues. Like, let's go to Olive Garden. Like, this dude is just, like, on his own page. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, like... I, I... And you can be that and also... And also retain, you know, pieces of who you are. And that's what the fabric of the country is, that's what I thought was really exciting about this series, like that's what I was excited to show. I was like, I know a lot of, I know a lot, of, like we shot one of the scenes in a Republican's backyard. They gave it to us for a steal, cause they believed in the premise and they like wanted to see that like idealism represented, like it's out there in that fabric. So, you know, I, I was excited that this is an opportunity to share that and that duality.
7: That sounds pretty optimistic to me. Yeah. Are you,
5: are, you,
8: are you looking for a restaurant change to sponsor your next film?
5: That's correct. That's correct. All the sponsors from Olive Garden and Denny's. I Got you. just,
8: just want to... Yeah. Unlimited breadsticks. Uh, I, I just... For the whole crew. Like, you would eat that every day. The crew yeah. would eat that every yeah, day. Yeah. It, unlimited it's, breadsticks it's and unlimited cra- salad. It's
5: crafty and the next feature, Doc, yes.
8: Uh, I just wanted to add one more thing. I, I think optimism shouldn't be confused with endorsement. Um, I think there's a difference. And, you know, Keith was saying people have these doomsday clocks. And I think there needs to be a call to action. I, I totally agree with that. But I have two kids. Am I going to have a doomsday clock in my house and tell them the world's ending in 15 years? <laughs> so you better get it. everything you want to do in now, so...
2: Um, So, yeah, so that's part of where that lies for me. Um, Before uh, we wrap up here, a few things. Uh, If you've enjoyed this panel, I invite you back on Monday, same place, same time at 1 o'clock. We're doing a panel called uh, Getting Emotional with Documentary Filmmakers. We've got a terrific uh, group of filmmakers who have uh, films here at Sundance, including the filmmaker of Unrest and the filmmaker of The Force, and Quest, and uh, you're going to be hearing a lot more about these films as they uh, unspool uh, this weekend. Also, if you like interviews with documentary filmmakers, I invite you to listen to my podcast, Pure Nonfiction. It's free. Uh, You can download it on iTunes. My producer, Michael Scotty, over there has some buttons. If you'd like uh, your own Pure Nonfiction uh, button, you can mob Michael um, uh, after this. And please come check out uh, sundancenow.com. Uh, if you enjoy great independent films and uh, and the kinds of voices you've been hearing today uh, sundancenow.com is full of them and uh, as a last piece of housekeeping note I'm going to turn the microphone over to Danielle
4: Thank you Tom and thank you everyone on the panel um, 25 lucky audience members can reach under their seats and receive a top of the lake season 1 DVD from Sundance TV in anticipation of the upcoming second installment of Jane Campion's story. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you all for coming. Please
2: come back Monday. Thanks to the team of filmmakers here.